Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today, how much tax is the right tax? This is the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome back. Tax is everywhere. GST, VAT, corporate tax, income tax, import duties, rates, vehicle tax, duties on fuel and alcohol, land tax, inheritance tax. And I fear I've only scraped the surface there. I mean, we know there's only two things certain in life, tax and death. But one is a lot more contentious than the other. We complain about tax more than we complain about dying. So what is the right level of tax? Well, Steve, I mean, is there such a thing as the, the optimal rate of tax? Yeah, well, this the, the whole problem, I think, actually stems from the, from the fact that we don't really understand what the function of tax is properly because uh, the, the way it's simply thought about is that my taxes pay for government services mm. uh, and I'm being taxed too highly and I want to pay less of that tax. So uh, if I'm a wealthy uh, a wealthy billionaire, or say wealthy billionaire, pardon, pardon the, the uh, <laughs> double, Tautology. Double statement, but a wealthy yep. person. Yep. Tautology. I think I was going to say oxymoron. That's another one of my favourite uh, re- realities of, the, of, of language. But um, what we then do is, as a, as a wealthy person, you uh, take your you take your income offshore. You find various ways to redesign things so your income occurs in nice little tax havens like the Cayman Islands, and you pay no tax back here. And they've been got this incredible struggle, uh, which we're saying some are saying we're paying too much taxes, you're not paying enough, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think the only way out of it is step back and say, what is the actual function taxation? And it's nothing like what we normally think it is. Well, I mean, there's two there's two reasons for tax on. The one is, uh, as you've suggested, which is to try and raise raise money for the government, which, as you say, you know, can uh, perhaps be avoided if you've got lots of uh, lots of lolly. The other one is to change behaviour, because of course, you know, we we have a tax on smoking, for example. Uh, ironically, uh, it's an interesting one that one, isn't it? Because uh, when the treasuries uh, increase the tax on smoking, they also increase the revenue uh, that's associated with it, which is the their way of saying actually this isn't going to work. It's it's not going to change behaviour. We're just going to get more revenue from from people who smoke. But in theory, that's another reason for tax. Whether that's right or not, it's to change yeah, behaviour. But, but, but the first the first reason the first reason for tax is wrong. Mm. The government doesn't need to tax to spend. This is this is the inside of the modern monetary theory argument, which is which is uh, considering because how does the government pay for its pay for its uh, activities? It issues money. It issues its own currency. And I had this actually on another podcast uh, with uh, with Vox just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the interesting position said, "Is there a way to abolish taxation? Could you get rid of it?" And the answer is, "Well, yes, you could." What, what does tax actually do? Well, the evil of the government now, the government is of the order of 30% of GDP. Um, if you go back to the 1800s, government was the, the order of 5% of GDP. All those wars we saw, fought the Civil War and stuff like that, the government was that much smaller, a proportion of the total GDP than it is now. And the real growth in the government as an as a, as a, a, uh, actor in the economy occurred during the Great Depression and World War II. But if you, if you go back to the days when it was only about 5% of GDP, then one way the government could finance its activities back then is simply issue money. 
which people then use for their transactions and by issuing the money. Uh, you, you, if you produce uh, greenbacks and it costs you a, a cent per greenback to make the dollar, uh, then you get the, the spending capacity out of that, out of that dollar uh, that you get because you're children. And, uh, and everybody else uses it, uses it for their own transactions, but it means you can then buy what the public is doing for pieces of paper, uh, which happens because you happen to have, have at the other end of the piece of paper, you have a rather pointy thing called a gun, and, uh, and your, right, your capacity to enforce your, um, your, your fiat over that area is what actually gives you the capacity to create the money. So, th- of course, that would work um, if the government was a tiny proportion of GDP, you say, of the order of 5%, because at that level, if you have an economy which is growing at about 5% per annum, then a money supply being increased by the government also uh, is spending 5% of GDP per annum actually works out quite nicely. Right. But, but it's, the but trouble it, is... But it's uh, not. It's, it, yeah. As you say, it's like it's 30%. So why is it... It's 30%. So why is it so much more now? Well, it's a whole lot of reasons behind it. The major reason was the Great Depression. Um, if you look at what was going on in the 1920s, the, the, the mindset that dominated American politics back then is exactly the same mindset that dominates it now. And that is the belief that the right role for a government is to run a surplus, so a nice little sensible household, and, uh, and save money for a rainy day, not realising that because it's the money creator, one of the two money creators in a society, if it tries to save money, it's actually destroying money. And therefore, to keep the money supply constant or growing, private individuals have to borrow money from banks and banks normally learn to finance asset speculation so you get an asset bubbling and when the asset bubble forms the growth in the money supply created by the private banks means that government taxation can be higher than government spending so the government's a nice comfortable intelligent well-managed one percent of gdp surplus every year all the way through the 1920s and then we have the great depression mm. so rather than when the, when the when the when the private bubble crashes so rather than the government um you know, saving for any day, it actually causes a thunderstorm on the others. Now, what happened, of course, in the after in the Great Depression, you had the government being forced uh, with 25% of the workforce out of a job, and that, that was literally the recorded level of unemployment. Uh, in actually 26% had picked that in America in 1932. In that situation, the government threw into the uh, when it into a spending mode. You had this the so called New Deal. Now, the New Deal, as, as much as it's remembered as a historic event, the scale of government spending during the New Deal as a proportion of GDP was one-third of the size of the, of the budget deficit under Obama. That was necessary to get the economy out of the other the hole it fell to into in two thousand and so but nonetheless with the government running at a deficit of the order of five percent of GDP it was growing as a proportion of, of the economy throughout the nineteen thirties and then you had the Second World War mm. well that was a all out you know battle for survival both against Germany and Japan and an enormous level of industrialization that was the big the, in, in terms of industrial scale that was the biggest war in the history of humanity. And with that scale, the government rose from something of the order of 10 or 15% of GDP to 30% or more afterwards, and you had the formation of the welfare state. So the, what, we become, what we've all grown up with, is, is there anybody left alive after um, it was a, an adult in 1945? I, I don't think so. Um, we've all grown up in a world in which the government is five to six times the scale it was beforehand. Right. Now, so that, so that what level, you're saying at this level, that, that, is, too, that yeah. is too high a level for the government to be able to 
yeah. create e- its own money to to uh, to sustain that level of spending, though. So we you would we still need with, to supplement it with taking, some form without, of taxation. No, no, you can't create that much money without taking some of it out of circulation as well. Yeah, right. That's that's the dilemma. Okay, if we see it sensibly, the role of taxation is to take out of circulation money that the government creates to fund its own activities. Because if it funded its own activities and didn't take the money out of existence, then the money supply would be growing at thirty and forty percent per annum. And uh, that's a recipe for absolute runaway inflation, which, of course, is one of the reasons people are against the government creating money in the first place. But isn't that a question of definition here, though? Because if you're saying, well, you know, it, it, the government is basically 30 percent of the whole economy. And, um, you know, if it was if it was running at 5 percent, uh, then it could create that money without taking money out of the economy. That's fundamentally what you're saying. But a lot of that money that the government is spending mm. is actually payments being made in welfare, which surely is money being pumped back into the economy. Yeah, well, it does, it does pump back in in various ways, but you've also got the scale of the government infrastructure as well at the same time. If you, if, if you, and you also, you don't want the government to be charging for wealth, hence the role of taxation is, is twofold, is to take money out of circulation to evoke, to stop runaway inflation, runaway trade deficits and so on. And it's also to redistribute because when we look at society, and this is certainly in the light of what's happened with the Grenfell disaster in, in the UK in the last uh, two weeks ago, one, one or two weeks ago now, um, it shows that you certainly, the, the poor can't pay uh, for what the what the market system generates. We we have, to, we have to admit now that there's a, a sense of inequality in capitalism. Money does accumulate. And this is also what Piketty's work has shown, that we the, the conventional economic theory all talks about you get paid for what you contribute, et cetera, et cetera. It leaves out the existence of inheritance and accumulation of wealth. Mm. When you factor those things in, if you have a if you if you if you just had a society where you couldn't accumulate wealth, then there wouldn't be a problem. It's convention compared to what we see now, because nobody would be born wealthy or born poor. You'd be born, and bang, you'd be part of a you know equal distribution of income. And then what you got out of it, uh, you could actually argue in a form of Austrian fantasy about uh, how the world would operate. Once you include accumulation and inheritance, uh, it reminds me of my favourite little cards. One of my favourite cartoons from the days when I used to buy. Punch mm. magazine as a, as a university student. It had two very uh, portly old men sitting in very comfortable chairs, smoking cigars, clearly in a, a gentleman's club. And one said to the other, the secret of my success, Charles, the advice my father gave me as a young man. He said, son, here's a million dollars. Don't lose it. <laughs> now, <laughs> when we live in that sort of world, um, then you are going to get an enormous accumulation of wealth, uh, regardless of people's relative skill levels. The whole mechanic. Uh, uh, um Oh, God, all of a sudden, my memory from the word. This is not good when the words disappear when you're trying to use them in, in podcasts. Uh, meritoc- the whole meritocratic argument for capitalism disappears when that happens. So you see taxation as a way of redistributing uh, so that that accumulation of wealth doesn't occur. But it's, it's, doing it by income tax alone is an incredibly clumsy way of going about it. Well, and certainly when we've got so many taxes as well. So, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, mm. people often say, well, look, why can't we just streamline all these taxes? Like, for example, we, we know we've got to pay welfare. So isn't it better just to, for example, tax everyone at the same same rate and then sort out the welfare payment after that and just, uh, you know, whittle down the amount of government because we don't need as many people in the tax office trying to sort out this myriad of uh, of, of tax laws that, it, that, that exist. One, once you think about it as, as not a means of financing government activity, but it is a twofold, as a means of taking money out of circulation when excessive um, 
um, excessive uh, recreation would otherwise result, and then redistribution uh, because you again you know you have this if you if you actually do believe that capitalism should be a meritocracy, then there's an argument for saying well the advantages that are gained for uh, one generation should not be exclusively passed on to the children of that next generation. There's a social even an, ide- an ideological need in that sense in the sense of how you where you see the strength of capitalism versus the feudal system. There's a reason to redistribute that wealth and not let it accumulate in a Marie Antoinette sort of way mm. under a capitalist system. So if you can say, let's say redefine with those ideas. I think it'll be easier to redefine than trying to redefine it when you think it's actually necessary to generate the revenue for government activity in the first place. So this idea that tax is, uh, is there to redistribute, you know, I think is taken as read. The idea that it's there to stop... Yeah overheating the economy i mean i thought that was the role of interest rates we tried to control the uh, speed at which the economy grows by fluctuating interest rates that was the role of reserve banks well it's, it's twofold i mean the interest rates alone don't do it because and again this is an interesting logic as to why they don't interest rates alone don't work because again the thinking of economists about how interest rates affect the economy is it as an issue of flows uh, you have the interest rate, which will therefore, if you increase the interest rate, that'll reduce the level of investment, which is the flow, uh, which will therefore change the level of GDP, which is the flow, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all a question of nicely manipulating a set of flows, and you can do it uh, at any 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 point in time. Because there's also a stock, which is the level of debt that's accumulated, then the effectiveness of that interest rate control is dramatically different if you have a trivial level of, uh, of uh, debt, as you had back in the 1950s and 60s, versus an outrageous level as you have today. So again, it's, the, it's, the, it's leaving out the, the stocks, which is the level of debt. In our case, living, when you're looking at tax, it's the stock of wealth accumulated uh, that you're trying to, uh, to redistribute so you don't turn into a feudal system, uh, which is capitalism's ultimate, ultimate uh, end if you, if you don't redistribute through taxation. So it's, it's, again, this idea that when there's a stock there as well, you, your thinking has to be much more sophisticated and you have to understand what you're actually doing with the taxation, which is not financing government activity. It's redistributing. Well, it's a, redistributing so wealth doesn't accumulate uh, and, and causes become a feudal rather than a capitalist system. Taking money out of circulation so you don't have a massive runaway rate of inflation occurring and then to some extent the type of attempt to manipulate behaviour that you were talking about earlier. You want to make some things which are otherwise extremely cheap expensive to stop people doing really interesting things like ripping out their lungs courtesy of smoking cigarettes. But if one of those is uh, controlling the speed of growth in the economy and trying to control inflation, I mean, that would seem to indicate then, like interest rates, um, uh, tax should not be fixed. We should be fluctuating it depending on the, uh, the state of the economy at the time. Yeah, that's true. And the question is, how do you do that in, in, a, in a sophisticated way? And how do you set up the taxation so you don't end up with the ludicrous situation that applied in the UK back in the 1960s, where the Beatles were being taxed at 99% of their marginal uh, taxation taxation rate? That's stupid. Um, that isn't that is isn't achieving the aim you want. Uh, and, it, of course, it then leads to the Bahamas-type behaviour that we've seen evolve since then. Yeah. So, but of, of, you know, at, the, at the moment, the tax rate that's set is pretty much a, a political decision, isn't it? Basically, if you've got a conservative government, they say we're going to lower taxes. If it's a Labour government, they say, well, we're going to raise them so we can distribute more and fund the poor. Uh, no one talks about, well, we're going to change the, the tax rate 
dependent on the uh, uh, the state the economy is in. If there's too much growth, uh, then we're going to tax you more. Uh, if things are looking a little bit slow, then we're going to tax you tax you less. I guess because of this belief that if the if if the economy is moving slowly, then the government's probably struggling as well because they're not getting as much revenue in from tax, uh, and so they don't drop taxes. But what you're saying is that's the time when you do want to drop taxes. Yeah, I mean the government doesn't need taxation to fund its own activities. This is um, once once you get that little light bulb off in your head, mm. then the whole issue uh, changes radically. It, it, the only thing which constrains a government's capacity to do what it wants to do is how productive its own economy is. And the, you know, the economy of, of, of Ghana could do all it could like in terms of trying to stimulate the economy uh, or, or you know, to spend to fund its own activities. But with the productive capacity of the Ghanaian uh, economy, it ain't going to get particularly far. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a country like the UK, which thinks it has to tax in order to spend and then is therefore cutting back on its spending because it thinks that uh, it doesn't have the finances to enable it to do what it wants to do, it ends up destroying the infrastructure that it makes it a productive economy in the first place. It's pretty hard, though, isn't it, for the man in the street to accept the fact that uh, the tax rates are going to change. I mean, it's pretty hard to plan for your life if uh, if you think you're going to have a fluctuating uh, tax rate, which is going to change dependent on the on the, st- the state of the economy. Yeah, it's uh, again, it's it's. I mean, it, we're used to some things fluctuating depending upon the level of e- economic ac- activity, but we're not used to tax rates. Uh, I mean, interest rates being one of them in, in recent times. We're not using, used to tax rates doing doing the same thing. But if if we if we do look at uh, the, the the government, the 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 dilemma that the governments go through for that they torture themselves trying to reach a set of both current levels of expenditure and current levels of taxation and then forecast future levels depending upon a growth rate that is going to come out of the impact of, the, of those rates that's on the rate of economic growth. They're trying to forever to get the stage where sometime, maybe three years in the future, bang, we reach the stage where tax minus spending equals zero. Hooray, we can throw a party. Since that is entirely the wrong destination to get to, uh, we are torturing ourselves all the time. Now, if instead we said, well, here is the rate at which we'd like to be constructing uh, new infrastructure, like, for example, high-speed rail in the UK to take place of the crap they've currently got uh, over, over most of its rail systems, or improved education facilities for school students so they don't run the risk of uh, being cooked in their in their physics labs because we don't think we can afford to put sprinklers in there anymore. Um, uh, you, you set those objectives. It is then much easier to say, well, let's go, we're going to vary the rate of taxation this year, uh, or we're going to, uh, you know, change the rate of spending uh, to achieve a set of physical goals, which we know we can get to if we invest over the next five-year period. Let's look at this another way. The, the, the one closed system I can think of in in history, uh, and it's a place I went to on a on a, one of my uh, various honeymoons uh, with a couple of different wives. Uh, was, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You, <laughs> was, we haven't discussed. You've, you've outdone me on the wives' front, mate. I thought you'd only had one. Right, no, well, no, no, you no, 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 no. How many number, dry runs have you had? <laughs> I just I just had the one dry run. Uh, maybe that's why I had okay, to move on okay. to number two. Uh, but look, uh, the the honeymoon was on the coast. Cocos Islands, uh, which was um, uh, was run basically by the Clunas Ross family. They imported a whole yeah. load of uh, of workers to work on its jute farm, 
they were paid money. The only way they could spend their money was in a shop, which was on the island, run by the Clunis Ross family. Now, obviously, the Clunis Ross family would take mm. some of that money and, uh, you know, repat- repatriate it back to the Australian mainland, as it as it was, because it's off the coast of, of Australia. But, um, but I mean, obviously, the, um, they, they wouldn't pay tax, but they would pay the workers enough for the workers to be able to spend money in their shop. So it's an interesting scenario, isn't it? I guess the more money they paid, the more those people would shop. Um, so when you look at that, there's no need for taxation because the, the Clunes Ross family has, has taken on the role of the government. I mean, they're providing the infrastructure on their island. They provided the homes for the workers. They provided uh, the welfare to, to whatever extent. There's no need for tax because it was sort of wound up in the salaries that people were being paid. But, but I guess if they found that uh, people weren't buying, they just needed to pay them more. Yeah, it's, that is actually a very nice little closed, uh, closed system to think about. I was imagining how I'd actually model that as you were talking because the, the issue in those sort of company town uh, businesses is uh, what, how much of what they're left over is, is therefore available for the workers to you know, be able to party as well as to slave their asses out and fall in a bed and collapse for the next working day afterwards. And it then becomes a question of uh, social class and power relations between the owners and the workers. Uh, and that relates back to a lot of one of my little um, new pieces of thinking that I've added by working out the energy equation last year is that uh, we're not necessarily capitalists aren't necessarily exploiting workers Uh, we're both exploiting the available energy and then divvying up the proceeds and it is possible to say you can have a world in which uh, there's a you know a, a more comfortable life for the owners particularly if they're innovators than for the workers but not so much so that the workers are living in in shit accommodation which pardon me being speaking french these days but after grenfell i think any language is justified so uh, it, it it is something which comes down to the distribution of income what are you trying to achieve as a social distribution of income? And your taxation system is part of that part of that answer. But we've answered it very badly thus far. Right. So it gets back to the uh, in a nutshell then, just to round off. What is mm. given that everything that you've said about the role of the role of taxation and the, and the the size of government and uh, the ability for the government to a point to be able to create money rather than taking money out of the economy? Um, what what is the optimal tax? Where should we be? Yeah. Yeah. But answer the question is what's the state of the economic cycle at the moment? Uh, what is the is the, is the uh, economy going into a, a plunge after an investment boom which was excessive? Uh, therefore, or do you need to either increase government spending or cut or cut government taxation to provide a, a government fillip for the uh, downturn of the private sector? And what level of private sector that has been accumulated in this whole process is there too much? Should be finding finding a way to attack that. Those are some of the issues which should be active. One other one, which I'll, I'll finish our little conversation on this point, we might return to it later, is that in the podcast I did with Vox, um, somebody suggested, you know, can you, get, can you imagine a system which gets rid of taxation completely? And the answer was, yes, I can. And that is where money degrades over time. So if you create, the government was actually spending to finance its activities and not doing any tax at all, you could then have a rate at which money depreciated that meant that you got the level of inflation you wanted out of the economy, the level of economic activity and so on, with no need to recycle the government spending. Now, of course, once you had that, you would also have the possibility for wealth, which would also depreciate over time. Yeah, no one would I don't save. Think that would, I don't think that would be all that popular with some particularly yeah. wealthy people. But it's 
But all, but, but all with anybody. It's the sort so, of thing I mean, you could actually people, imagine people, saying. People saving for their retirement wouldn't be too happy about it either. Well, but but, but think, but the one little thought, I thought, well, this is never going to happen. And I was, I was, I was actually thinking of writing a book uh, with a publisher, Vox's Publishing House, which I'd title, uh, How to Abolish Taxation, which would have a not, not necessarily the answer people would like to see on the other side. But there is one potential economy on which this could be tried because so far this economy doesn't exist but it's likely to exist in the next 30 years that's the economy of mars right so when we send these people over um this is something this is something elon musk needs to think about and i might actually drop a little um, not that we're in touch but it's worth giving a try as if he's talking about designing and intending of a colony in mars of one million people and he wants to actually get to stage of evolution evolving a martian civilization uh, then he's got to think about the economy that's going to operate there. Initially, it's obviously going to be a command economy because you're going to have a whole set of engineering plans that are set down which have to be carried out. And everybody's going to do it. Everybody's going to know everybody else. But if you get to the stage where there's a million people there, and that's the uh, that's the short-term intention. I think he plans to have a million people on Mars uh, by about 2040. Uh, at that stage, you're talking an economy. Now, in that situation, you could design one where wealth didn't accumulate and it could be do, done by, by the sense that whatever was used as, for money is on Mars was something that did degrade over time and everybody knew that as soon as they hopped on the, on the rocket to fly there. So you wouldn't have the accumulated problems that you've got in a, a capitalist system of, of the, uh, the current globe where a little bloke, I think his first name is Rupert, might be rather angry about that idea and might do what he can do to bring it down. Mm, but hey, it's going to be tax free. Get on that rocket now. Uh, interesting thought. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Still not going to get me over there. Uh, Steve, good to talk. Catch you again soon. Okay, mate. So tax levels are really more to do with government controlling the level of inflation in the economy and less to do with raising revenue to pay for their own expenses. So they should be able to change taxes as they see fit in unison with interest rates. Makes you wonder whether independent central banks are such a good idea then if those two policy instruments are really supposed to work together. But of course, nobody in government sees it like that or in the public generally. We all see it as tax as a way of creating revenue to pay for services. Hence, when times are bad, less revenue equals more austerity. And look where that gets us. Uh, that's it for this time. An interesting talk, as always, from Steve Keen. We'll be back again soon with another one. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening. I'm Phil Dobby. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.